I believe it was a few months after the May 18th eruption that I had the privilege of flying in a small airplane up towards the mountain and what airspace was open. We went as close as we could possibly go. And uh, the hills that I had worked in, the hills that I had hunted in, I will never forget the eerie feeling as you came up the Tootle River Valley and suddenly saw the blast zone. And there's a couple pictures um, that I pulled off the internet last night. Let's go ahead. Um, and show the next one as well. For about, I don't know, 20 miles. Every places that had been timber, tight timber, it all looked just like that, all laid over, same direction. There was no color except the ash gray. And, I mean, it was just, um, like I said, a, an eerie feeling when you devoid of all color and the devastation was beyond anything that I could explain with words as, as you just saw the trees all laying down and, and these huge towers where they used to do it logging with the big towers and laid over and mangled from the force of the blast. Life was gone. In those first few weeks everything there was dead. Absolutely. Reflecting on that scene caused me to this week to think about Noah and his family when they got off the ark. We've all seen what happens to the land when a great flood comes through. And this was a flood like no other flood. I mean, the whole earth was covered. 30 feet above the highest mountains. Water had moved things everywhere. Whatever the world looked like before they got in that ark, it was totally different when they got out. We talked about the fact the first thing he did when he got to dry ground was worship God. He built an altar and worshiped the Lord. Everything needs to start there with worship to the Lord. Everything, worshiping God. And God responded to him by reassuring him of the covenant that he told him that he would make with him before they closed the door. I wonder, well, we'll talk about them again. Let's read the first 17 verses of Genesis 9. God blessed Noah. And his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all the flesh of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. 
from every beast I will require it from man. From his fellow man I require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. It must have been an overwhelming situation when they got out of the boat, saw the residual from the flood, and there was no people anywhere. Knowing that they are the only people living. Now, I don't know if they had any idea how big this world was. But no matter where they went, they were going to be alone. Just the eight of them. Four men, four women. And it said, God bless them. God bless them. One of the definitions of the word bless, that verb, is to confer prosperity or happiness on. God bless them. God bless them. He conferred on them blessing. And it came with a command. God commanded them to multiply, to make babies, lots of babies, be fruitful and multiply. And in case they didn't get it the first time in verse 7, he said it again, or verse 1 and verse 7, he said it again, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. It's the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve when he cast them out of the garden. Be fruitful and multiply which means that now they have been given the gift of fertility. God bless them. Children are a gift from God. I got two amens. Children are a gift from God because the Bible says so. The psalmist wrote in Psalms 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. 
he shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. God would later promise Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. 75 years old and he has no children and God says, go out and look at the sky. If you can number the stars of the sky, that's how many children are going to be in your lineage. God reiterated the promise to, to Isaac and, and then to Jacob. God said to, to Jacob, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. The Israelite people saw children as the blessing and the gift of the Lord. You can read in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy where God made numerous children part of the covenant blessing for the Israelites moving into the land of Canaan. And he promised that to Abraham 400 years before. Children are a gift from God. They are the blessing of God. Unfortunately, not everyone agrees with that point. Did you know that the number of U.S. soldiers who have died in all the wars since the founding of this nation is roughly 1,400,000? 1,400,000. That's a lot of people. But do you know that in one year alone, in one year alone, there was 1,600,000 babies aborted in the mother's womb. Since Roe versus Wade, there's been on about 65 million abortions that have been recorded just in the United States of America. Contrary to God's purpose and God's plan, God forgive us. God have mercy upon us for we've sinned against you. Back to something happier. Children were a promise of a future and a hope. When he said be fruitful and multiply, that was a promise. You folks are going to live. You folks are going to make it. There is life for you. They're standing there in that landscape that has been ruined by the flood. Silt, mud, everything would be so strange. But God says, you're going to have children, and you're going to have grandchildren. The earth is going to be replenished with the animals and all kinds of creatures, as well as human beings. God gave Noah's family something to look forward to. God was giving them purpose. God was giving them hope for what was to come. Many of you are familiar with Jeremiah 29, 11. People have it on plaques. They have it on, I got it in two or three ways that people have sent it to me and given it to me in my office and even at home. God said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. God made that promise to the people of Judah who were in Babylon. And he said, when the 70 years is up, you're going to go home and the city is going to be restored. The nation's going to be restored because I have a plan for you 
plans for your welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. First application point this morning is this. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Whatever you're going through might be real bad right now. And it might get worse. But it's going to get better. Because God has a plan for your welfare to give you a future and a hope. When you were born again by the Holy Spirit, remember what Paul said in Corinthians, old things passed away, all things became new. As believers in Jesus Christ, we know that all things work together for good. As followers of Jesus Christ, we know that he promised to us life abundantly, the King James. Life to the full is the way the newer translations put it. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. But be happy, because I've overcome the world. I've overcome the world. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. If our God's before us, who can be against us? Things are going to get better. He gave to us a future and hope. Seems to me I read somewhere in this book, weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. TV shows have commercials to break up the monotony. I want to break up the monotony a little bit. And uh, I want to sing the words to one verse of the Gaither song. And the chorus. And, and here, here's, it just weighed so heavy on me yesterday that you may be going through something really devastating. But the Lord says it's going to get better. It's going to get better. So I want you to leave today with this course in your mind. The, it's three verses, but I'm going to sing one. And the words are on the screen.
despair I'm saying those words I'm thinking of the apostle Paul he talked about there's a point and we were hard pressed in every way we almost despaired of life itself but he said we continue on I will go on I will go on because every time that God brought judgment every time he brought trials on the other side, there was something better. On the other side, somebody knew God more than they knew them going in. God was promising Noah and the family a future and a hope. And that's God's promise to you this morning. A plan for your life. Count on it. Anticipate it. Look forward. If you're still breathing, you know what that means? God's not done yet. You're not finished yet. There's still a purpose for you being here. Whether you be 80, 90, 100, if you're still breathing, God has planned for you. So, Roman numeral number one. I got two messages, not just ones and twos and Roman numerals. Trust Jesus for your future. Trust Jesus for your future. Trust him. He said in verse 2, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth, upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground, all fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I want you to think about that. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. In this couple of verses, what God is saying, he promises them daily provision for sustaining life. Daily provision for the sustaining of life. I give to you everything. Every creeping thing, the fish of the sea, everything. It'd be an interesting survey if there's a way that we could be assured everyone answered honestly. What do you and your family need to be able to function normally and be content? How many things do you think you might need on that list? Now, I, I read one preacher who said in the 1950s somebody did such a survey, and they, or, or 1900. Well, first their survey. In 1900, they did that survey. And from the survey, they concluded that people felt like they needed 72 different things in order for their family to function and to, you know, be content. In 1950, somebody repeated the survey. And by 1950, now 72 was 500 things. If it keeps going at that particular and here we are in 2023, how much do we need to be content? 
You know what the admonition of the Scripture is? In case you've forgotten, let me refresh your memory. 1 Timothy 6, 8. If we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. If we have food and clothing and a house and a car and an RV. He said, if we have food and clothing, we will be content. Jesus spoke to us about the very same thing in the Sermon on the Mount. I think we referred to it a week or so ago, maybe last week. He said, think about the birds of the air, fed by the Father, the, the lilies of the field, clothed by the Father in heaven. How much more will the Father give these things to you because he knows you have needed them if you put first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Put that at the top of your priority list. And all these other things he said will be added to you. Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, give us a million dollars. No, he said, give us this day our daily bread. Our daily bread. So God said to know the family, there's going to be some new things now that we're back on dry ground. The animals are going to have a natural fear of you, which means that they're going to run and hide and less cornered. That means now you're going to become hunters. Along with gathering from what you plant, you're going to have to hunt for meat. But notice this, God said you can eat meat. God said you can eat meat. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. You can eat meat and you can eat bugs. That's what he said. Every once in a while, there'll be some, I'll be nice, nutritionist that comes along and says, you only should eat green stuff. You only should eat stuff that you get out of your garden. And they try to, they'll find a verse in the Bible and say this is what it says. They just ignore this one. And they ignore, and they ignore what Jesus said when he, he made this statement, you can eat all things. And when Peter had the vision and God said, eat the pig, eat, eat these things. And I just want to make sure you understand in this culture, it's okay to eat meat. in moderation. Trust Jesus for your present right now. Trust him for your future, but trust him for your present. Verse 3 ends, I give you everything. I give you everything. Paul in Philippians, writing from jail, writing to the church at Philippi, he said, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm at, whether I have a lot or don't have anything, whether I'm clothed or whether I'm naked, whether all of these things. And then he makes this statement, and my God will supply every need according of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's thanking them for the offering they sent, and then he makes this declaration, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How rich is Jesus? It's not a trick question. How rich is Jesus? He has everything. God did give one prohibition 
regarding what we eat. Genesis 9.4 said this, but you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. You shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. This prohibition was one that was reiterated several times in the law that God gave Moses at Mount Sinai. Eating meat was permissible as long as the blood of the animal had been drained from it because life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. Then your notes, I listed several verses, and I'm going to read them rather rapidly. You can look at them in your leisure time today. Leviticus 3.17, It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places, that you eat neither fat nor blood. Chapter 7, verse 26, 27. Moreover, you shall eat no blood whatever, whether of fowl or of animal, in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Leviticus 17, chapter, verse 10 says this. If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut them off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it, to, given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any of the stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also, the people of Israel, the strangers who sojourn among you, them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I've said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. In case they didn't get it yet, but you get to the 19th chapter in the 26th verse, you shall not eat any flesh with blood in it. You shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Deuteronomy 12, verse 16, only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. Verse 23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life, and you shall not eat the life of the flesh. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. You shall not eat it, that all may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Deuteronomy 15, 23, only you shall not eat its blood, you shall pour it out on the ground like water. Don't eat blood. Back to verse 11 in chapter 17, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is blood that makes atonement by the life. Now, there would have been some health benefits from not eating the blood. The blood would carry some strange parasites that might do strange things to your body. I have preacher friends who've gone overseas and come back with critters living in their intestines, causing them all kinds of problems because of food they ate there. But there's a far greater spiritual truth involved in God's commandment. Do not eat the blood because it's life. The blood 
that purchased atonement, the blood that purchased the forgiveness of sins. The blood was set aside to be holy. It had been set aside for divine purposes because it's the blood flowing through our veins and the animal kingdom. God said, reverence the blood. It's not for consumption. It is for redemption. Reverence the blood. It's not for consumption. It is for redemption. For those who like to spend time going deeper, read the book of Leviticus and see how God told them to use the blood and the cleansing of the temple and the cleansing of the priests before they went in to minister in the tabernacle. When they offered the sacrifices, the blood had to be sprinkled on the altar. Remember this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. As I was reading these verses a couple days ago, don't eat the blood. Don't eat the blood. I remembered what we talked about last Sunday when the people who'd been fed, the five, you know, the 5,000 been fed the, the bread and the fishes, and they came the next day looking for Jesus. Jesus said, you're, you're looking for free lunch, but you need to look for food that has eternal value. I want you to see what Jesus said. John 6, 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day. These are Jews, been taught all their life, you don't eat blood. And here's Jesus saying, I forgot to bring in a communion cup in here. I saw one earlier. Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, the blood is where the life is. He didn't, now some of those people thought he was talking about cannibalism and they said, well, we're out of here. But Jesus explained it later during the Last Supper. When they were taking that Passover meal and he took one of the bread that was part of that, their liturgy, remembering they're being delivered from Egypt by eating the unleavened bread and a lamb that had been slain and the blood on the doorpost. He said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do so in remembrance of me. And then he took one of the cups that was part of the liturgy and he said, this cup no longer represents that lamb. This cup now represents this lamb. It represents my blood shed for the remission of sins for many. Why do we partake of the communion? Because we are declaring our faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. His body was broken for us. He shed his precious blood that our sins might be forgiven. 
And when we believe that, we are given life because his blood that washes away our sin. Life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. So clear back in Genesis, we begin to see a picture of the holy blood of Jesus Christ set aside for our redemption. That's good, Pastor. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior this morning? Do you remember his death by partaking of the emblems of his body and his blood? Are you totally dependent upon him to be born again? You can be before you leave this place if you've not. Begins with a prayer. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me and God raised you from the dead. Please forgive me my sin and by your grace help me to live for you all the days of my life. I make you the Lord of my life today. Number four, human life is sacred. Human life is sacred. Verse five and six, and for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Cain had murdered his brother Abel. And God marked him so no one else would kill him. Lamech killed a young man and bragged about it. The earth was filled with violence up until the ark was closed and water began falling from the sky and erupting from the earth. But when the flood is over, God put the fear of man and the animals so they would survive. And God put the fear of God in human beings lest they destroy one another. God said to attack a human being is to attack God himself because mankind has been made in the image of God. We as humans bear the image of God. Not so with the, with the animal kingdom, whether they're domestic or wild. It is the human beings who bear his likeness. In instituting capital punishment, God was initiating the foundation for government by humans. He was initiating the foundation for government by humans. It's God who established the family units. And it was God who established the fact that there should be government to safeguard our culture and justice. God said those who take a human life is virtually attacking him because man is creating the image of God. To murder is to take God's authority in one's own hands. God is the one who is in charge of life and death. Job said it's God who gives and it's God who has the right to take away and only God. God says to Noah going forward it's a life for a life. When, when we read the book of of Moses' laws, you know, that Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, we see that God made provision for manslaughter or the unintentional, accidental taking of a life. 
the Israelites were instructed to create six uh, city, or cities of refuge. And if you accidentally killed someone, you would flee to that city of refuge and the city elders would protect you until there was a, a court hearing. And if they found you, it was an accident, then the instructions to the family who would come in to avenge the death of the one you killed were told that there was nothing to avenge. But if they found that you were guilty of murder, you were turned over to the family, and somebody in the family had the privilege of executing that individual. The law of capital punishment was given by God to deter mankind from going back to the violence that preceded the flood. Now today, in the name of being humane, many states in the United States, including this one, have banned the death penalty. And for some, there is some legitimacy, the fallibility of human beings, and there's been some people who've executed that were probably absolutely innocent. I'm sure that's happened. But God said, because life is sacred and humans bear the image of God, the person who intentionally takes the life of another person should also lose their life. Government was instituted by God because the human heart is evil and the fear of punishment can restrain some lawbreakers. As we've been reading in Genesis, and the hearts of men are desperately wicked all the time, some people just become, they sear their conscience and go ahead against whatever laws there are. The problem with the law is it cannot regenerate. The law cannot change the heart. Only God can do that. It's only God who can turn a, a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, is the way he describes it in the prophets and make that heart pliable in the hands of the maker. A heart that is able to say, God, you be in charge of my life. Guide me, strengthen me. Be with me wherever I go and help me to honor you in everything I do. Do you know any murderers? Someone who's taken another person's life on purpose? I want you to carefully think about this answer. Do you know any murderers? Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Verse 22 says, but I say to you, everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus equates the improper expression of anger with the act of murder. Character assassination is equal to murder. The good news is Jesus goes on in the next verse to say there's a way to negate those things happening to you by when somebody's got, you got some, somebody's got something against you, 
go and make it right. Go and be reconciled and then come back and bring your offering. It's about having a heart that can only be changed when I confess to the Father, I have sinned. Wash me with the blood, the blood of life. And the promise of the scriptures, if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Something to remember. People were created in God's image and Jesus died for each and every one of them. So treat them right. People were created in God's image. Jesus died for each and every one of them. So treat them right. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So far this morning, I've said this text tells me to trust God with my future, trust God with my present, trust God to provide healing for the past. Trust God to provide healing for the past. God has a way of replacing the pain that life brings with peace, his peace. God is all about restoration. He's all about healing the brokenhearted. He's all about setting us free from any kind of bondage. He's all about giving us courage to overcome fear and not to be victims, but to be victors. I want to read again verse 8 through 17. God said to Noah, his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Have you ever thought about what they might have thought the next time it started raining? Something to think about. God's saying, it's going to be okay. I'll never do that again. God said, this is a sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud and it should be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. God repeated it over and over. This is the covenant that I have made. Has God ever broke covenant? No, not once. Last week we talked about the covenant that God made with him. Today we see that God gave them a sign of the covenant. God gave them a sign of the covenant. We could talk about all the signs that God has put in Scripture for us to remember and for Him. He said that He might remember. 
It was and is a sign to remind us that God made a covenant with all creation to never destroy the totality of life on this planet with a flood. He wanted them to know the next time it rains, you do not have to be afraid. God said never. God said, God said, when I see the rainbow, I'll remember the covenant. The sign was put there not just for us, but for God. Here's the thing about rainbows. They're universal. Wherever there's clouds and rain, you have the potential of seeing a rainbow. They can be seen all around the globe when the water molecules hanging in the air begin to refract the light. And you begin to see all the spectrum of light. The colors of the rainbow remind us that God's grace is multifaceted. God's grace is multifaceted. We are saved by grace. We're given spiritual gifts by grace. We live each and every day by grace. God's grace is greater than all our sin. God's grace is, causes his strength to replace our weakness. His grace is made, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. That's God's grace. The rainbow reminds us of the faithfulness of God. It reminds us of the faithfulness of God. The rainbow tells me I do not need to worry. There's no reason to fret in the midst of whatever storm has come my way. He made a promise. And because he's not a man, he can't break his promise. He did not promise that there will be no storms. In fact, quite the opposite. But he did promise when we pass through the waters and go through the rivers, they will not overflow us. When the clouds appear and the sun is hidden, we have nothing to fear. Noah was told it will be an everlasting sign of the covenant that God had made. God said, I'll put my bow in the sky. I'll put my bow. Now, nobody knows whether there was rainbows before the flood or not. But as I'm standing here and I read that again out loud, my bow, I'm thinking about two other places in the scripture where we see the bow. In Ezekiel, chapter 1. Ezekiel said, I saw a storm, a mighty windstorm that came out of the north. And he goes on and he begins to describe these creatures that have four heads. And each one of these heads has a different face, a man, an ox, a lion, and, and an eagle. And then he talks about these wheels and a wheel inside of a wheel and all the eyes in the wheel. And then he talks about he saw a man, as it were, sitting on a throne elevated above all of this. And by the brightness of what looked to be a bow on the day of rain, the one on the throne was surrounded by a rainbow. Ezekiel 128 said this, Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Did you catch that 
Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord, the rainbow. Hundreds of years later, John, the disciple, is on the Isle of Patmos where he has been exiled for being a fanatical preacher about Jesus Christ. In chapter 4 of the revelation of Jesus Christ, he is called into the throne room of heaven. He sees the Lord on the throne, and he sees 24 elders around it, and he sees four creatures. One has the face of a lion. One has the face of an ox. One has the face of an eagle. One has the face of a man. And then in verse 3 he said this, And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. The rainbow forever will remind me that the glory of the Lord is with us. The glory of the Lord is with us. His throne is surrounded by the bow. And he said, I will put my bow in the sky as a reminder of the covenant that I made with you. For John, he saw the bow before the great storm that Revelation talks about comes. It was before the storm. For Ezekiel, it was in the midst of a windstorm. The windstorm had come and it was blowing mightily and he sees the rainbow. For Noah, it was after the storm. And he's on dry ground and still some moisture in the air and God said, look at that rainbow. The rainbow in the sky is the old covenant version of Romans chapter 8 Verse 28. Read it with me, would you, out loud? And we... Oh, that was pretty weak. And we... One more time. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. 